Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. If you're joining the podcast for the first time, you'll be happy to know that all of the main episodes of the podcast are, and always, remain totally free to listen to. The complete back catalogue can be heard on the website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com or, if you subscribe using your favourite podcast app, then you should be able to hear them all there too. Welcome to the new patrons who have signed up this month via our support page at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. Your generous support is the only thing that allows the podcast to continue and I sincerely hope that you're enjoying the extra recordings and other rewards that are delivered to you on there. Support begins at just $1 a month, or less than a pound if you're in the UK, and means that we can continue to provide access to some of the world's leading experts in areas of folklore through interviews and other programmes. There will be one more interview episode to come out during November, and then in December... Episodes will draw from the podcast archive of recordings made at talks and lectures to bring the season to a close around Christmas time. This allows time for preparations to be made for season five in the new year, which should include an extension to the podcast website for book reviews, some more new Patreon content, and the recording of one or two interviews with some writers and researchers who you may know quite well from their TV work. In the meantime, we return to local folklore collecting and storytelling for this episode of the podcast. The rugged coastlines of the county of Cornwall, on the southwestern tip of the UK, are etched with stories. Here you'll find tales of powerful mermaids, spiteful witches, crafty smugglers and woeful ghosts. Up on the moors are mischievous creatures, huge giants and elusive beasts. Joining me on this episode of the podcast is Cornish folklore writer Anna Chalton. Through her new book, Cornish Folk Tales of Place, Anna retells collected tales of North and East Cornwall. These stories were recorded through a community project called Mazed Tales, which can be found on the internet at www.mazedtales.org. There's a link on the Folklore Podcast website for this episode, which will take you straight there. I spoke to Anna about the project, her writing, and folklore collecting in Cornwall historically. Hello, Anna, and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. Hi, Mark. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's lovely lovely to have somebody from my rough area of the country on again to talk about uh, the bits in this area. Before we do that, though... um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in folklore and and what you do with it. Um, I live in Cornwall and I love stories and writing. Um, I heard a lot of folklore growing up, a lot of stories, and I read fantasy mainly. Um, I was immersed in myth at the diner schools. The teachers taught through stories. They're all storytellers. And I loved the Norse myth the Greek myth, and especially the epic of Gilgamesh. Um, I started writing poetry, and then I wrote a magic realist memoir. I wrote lots of stories about Bodmin Moore for the Audio Tour app, and then I was commissioned to write for 
Maze Tales, and it was while writing for Maze Tales that I became specifically interested in Cornish folklore. So can you explain a little bit about Maze Tales, uh, what it does, what the ethos behind it is? So Maze Tales began by researching the folk tales of East Cornwall. There wasn't a collection of the tales of East Cornwall prior to Maze, so they were quite tricky to find. And Maze collected them on a, a web-based. It collected the tales of East Cornwall and later North Cornwall on www.mazetales. Um, Maze is a transmedia um, Cornish storytelling project created by Sue Field in 2013. And part of the ethos behind it is to tell the folk tales in new and interesting ways. So um, on the first project, we created an app of short animated folk tale films. And the Cornish creative producer, Denzel Monk, produced the apps with Falmouth University students, created six of the animations. Mm -hmm. And um, established animators created another six. And... Um, I wrote the scripts, which was quite a steep learning curve for me because I'd never written animation scripts before. And then also in the next Maze project, Maze North, um, Sue created Cornishibai, which is um, illustrated bike stage street storytelling based on Japanese Kamishibai. So six Cornish artists illustrated six of the Cornish folk tales and then the storyteller told the tales with the bike and the illustrations and all over Cornwall and the most popular one was the camel trail and um, people cycling past and then stopping to watch and hear a, a folk tale and we also have um, two puppets Nellie Sloggett the folklorist and Bill Chubb, the drill teller, that are made by Puppet Craft, and we use them in our storytelling sessions. So um, that, those are those are really fascinating ways, aren't they, of of reinterpreting old stories? And I think all of that is available, isn't it, via the Maze Tale website for people to have a look at. Uh, sort of the puppets and the and the animations are on YouTube too. Is that right? Yeah, the animations are on um, Vimeo. Okay. And on May's website. Brilliant. So I'll put links to that on the Folklore Podcast website so that people can go and have a look at those. So that that's a really interesting collection of, of different ways of, of interpreting these stories. So from that, how did the um how did this move on to you writing your book, Cornish Folk Tales of Place? Um well, I, I went along to the Society for Storytelling gathering in Plymouth in 2017, and Sue Field and Nina Hills were launching Cornishibai at the gathering, and I was looking after the stalls. I was looking after the puppets and selling our Cornishibai storytelling cards, and the commissioning editor for the History Press, Nicola Guy, also had a stall. And uh, she came over to chat to me 
and uh, we talked about various ideas for a book. Um, and one of the things was that Cornwall already has a fantastic um, Cornish storyteller and writer for the History Press, um, Mike O'Connor, and um, he's written Cornish Folk Tales and Cornish Folk Tales for Children. So um, Cornish Folk Tales are placed, and my brief was to write all different stories to his so that the three books can be sold separately, people can read all three books. And so I had to go and find a lot of other folk tales. So and it was um, after a proposal for the book and a few emails that Cornish Folk Tales, The Place, was born. Excellent. And, and it's a lovely book as well. Now, um, why is storytelling as a form such an important part of folklore, do you think? Um, I think that folklore is like the whispering wisdom of the time gone by and the folklore is the whisperer. So the droll tellers told the stories in Cornwall through the years and um, then each storyteller tells the tale and then the next person changes it and keeps the folk tales interesting and relevant. They um, ignite the folklore through the centuries. And um, when when we look at storytelling in Cornwall, what do we find? Is it uh, very similar to storytelling in other areas or does it have different aspects to it because of the nature of the county? Um, it is very different. Um, the writer, Ronald M. James, who's just published the book The Folklore of Cornwall, writes about the um, storytellers in Cornwall telling the tales a bit differently each time and he writes that the body of narrative and belief is part of the northern European family of tradition but it follows its own path and he um, writes about the drawl tellers having their, an unusual variant on the stories so in, in a lot of places the storyteller told the tale and then the tale was told exactly the same at the next time but in Cornwall the droll tellers all used the story bones of the story to then tell them um, in all different ways and and so it they're very varied the Cornish stories um there's storytellers in Cornwall um great storytellers in Cornwall I've mentioned Mike O'Connor and Barbara Griggs Barbara plays the harp and she's also a wonderful storyteller um, Anna-Maria Murphy and Will Coleman are fantastic storytellers. Will Coleman voiced the animations um, on the Mazed app. Um, we have our own fairy folk, the Piskies, um, who are very mischievous and are sometimes helpful, but sometimes can lead you astray on the moor. So if you're out and about in Cornwall, you have to make sure your pockets are turned inside out or your coat or something, so the piskies, you don't get pisky lead or pisky laden. We also have spriggans and knockers and night riders. And the devil features in quite a lot in Cornish folklore. The devil's hounds run up and down the cliff. Um, you can hear them howling in the wind. And also we have our very own portal to hell, the dandy hole. 
So in at least two of the characters in Cornish folktales of place um, meet their ends by being driven down the dandy hole by um, the devil's hounds. So we can see then when we look at uh, Cornish storytelling that it it has these differences um, to tales from other counties, perhaps. But does it have common themes as well that we find in the folklore and stories of Cornwall? Um, yeah, one of the main themes is not to be nosy or meddlesome. Um, the Cornish um, had a strong smuggling tradition. And as the smugglers went by at night, you wouldn't look out or interfere with them. You'd let them get on with a job and maybe something would be left for you and this is reflected in the folk tales especially the pisky tales the piskies come into the farmers houses and they do the housework they light the fires and they clean up but if you look through the keyhole and make them aware that you've seen them or if you accost them and try to talk to them then they disappear never to be seen again um, Miller Matthews would have been a lot better if he had left the black hounds to take a little of his flour into the blackberry round in, instead of chasing them. And the pisky midwife, who was given gold for delivering the pisky baby, would have been a lot better off if she hadn't um, chided the pisky for stealing from the summer fair. Um, uh, another theme is kindness, and um, Pat and Peg wasn't very kind to her neighbour, and and that she really regretted that. Um, with the in the mines, the miners always left a bit of their crib, their lunch break, for the knockers, um, and to say thank you to them. So if they didn't leave a bit of their crib then um, grave misfortune would fall them. And also on the other side, Coleman Gray was taken into a farm by a family and looked after, and he was a little person. And he, um, the fam farming family felt great um, well-being and good fortune came to them because they'd um, shown kindness. So... Um, also, um, another theme is the conflict between the um, Cornish traditions and Christianity. In the legend of the hurlers, the hurling game is taking place between two parishes and the priest comes and he says, you mustn't continue this game into the Sabbath. And the villagers really want to um, see who wins, so they carry on through the night and they're all turned to stone. And in two of the saints' tales, St. Kibi and St. Nonna, the saints have put a font in the holy well. And uh, many years later, the farmer comes and he puts the font in a more useful place for the cattle to drink. And um, awful things happen to the cattle. And um, in all the uh, saint stories, the saint comes out on top. So they were told by Christians. Another common theme in Cornish folklore is to respect the sea and its creatures, which is um, personified in the figure of the mermaid. In the legend of the doom bath, um, the mermaid creates a huge 
bar of sand across Padstow, which ship the wrecked on, and because she's very angry at being shot. And similarly, in the Seaton Mermaid, um, a great sandstorm is thrown at the harbour of Seaton because the fisherman has unwittingly caught her in his nets. Um, to respect the moors and its guardians, the pisces is another thing. Um, Grandpa Nankivel digs up a huge peat bog, which the pisties have been using as their beds, and um, his birthday breakfast is taken. So there's a number of aspects there, isn't there, that the kind of are recurring features in in Cornish stories. Um, and these these have come about over quite a long period of time, I guess, too. So when when we look at the collection of these stories, who were the people who were really collecting uh, in Cornwall's history? Are, are there particular well-known Cornish folklore collectors? Yes, so um, one of the most well-known Cornish folklore collectors is Robert Hunt, and he collected fragments of tales. He was collecting at the time when the droll tellers were still telling in Cornwall, so he travelled around listening to them and collecting their tales. Um, He paid a postmaster also to collect snippets of stories, and then he published um, romances of, of popular romances of the West of England, um, I really like working with his tales because he only um, wrote a fragment of the tale and then I can um, imagine how around it. Um, also, William Bottrell uh, collected the tales of West Cornwall where he lived at the time. Um, Ennis Tregarvan um, is the pen name for Nellie Sloggett from Padstow. And Nellie had a spinal injury as a young person and was confined to her bed. Um, but people of Padstow and surrounding areas um, heard that Nellie loved stories and began to bring the folk tales of North Cornwall to her. And she wrote them down and collected them in a trunk, which she kept by her bed. And um, uh, she published um, as Ennis Tregarvan, uh, three collections of the folk tales of North Cornwall, and my favourite is the House of the Sleeping Winds. And many of her stories are of the pisky tales. So there's a number of people there who who did an awful lot of work um, in the past to collect these stories, and I think that's the same, isn't it? Where you know around the country we can we can find these people who were very active. Um, maybe in the early to mid part of the 20th century uh, and slightly earlier, collecting these stories. Um, but but then that process really kind of died out a little bit. Um, folklore is enjoying uh, quite a resurgence, I think, lately. So what, would she, what should we be doing now? How should we be preserving this heritage now on the back of this uh, kind of renewed interest in folklore? Um, well, folklore is everybody's heritage and everybody can get involved in preserving the folklore. Um, in Cornwall, um, the folk tales have been uh, retold by theatre companies. So um, Nehigh Theatre told a great production of um, Tregeagle, which everyone remembers. And 
Little Trebigans have recently toured Diggory Piper's The World's Worst Pirate, mm -hmm. which lots of families have listened to. Um, community events are really good. And with Mo's Tales, we, hel uh, we held um, storytelling cafes where people can come and tell stories. And we um, use the il for the illustrations, we went into schools and told stories, and then the children illustrated them. And they were exhibited in the libraries and community centres. And that um, got people in engaged in with the folklore. Um, so community involvement is really important. And also um, just telling the tales in interesting ways. Um, with Cornish Folk Tales of Place, um, I've recently been um, at lunch where someone has started telling me one of the tales. And so they are starting to... Um, droll telling is starting again in, in Cornwall. And that's, a, that's an excellent byproduct of of producing books like yours as well isn't it is that that is starting to happen again um there's an enormous range of stories in your book um which, which is the oldest one that you've collected when you've been looking for these stories so it's quite difficult to date the tales because they come from the oral t tradition mm -hmm. So one way to date the tales is to look at when they became literary tales and were written down in books of folklore. The tales of King Arthur were told orally for many, many years until they were written down by Geoffrey of Monmouth in the 12th century. Um, the Caradoc tales were sung by um, French singers until they were written down also in the 12th century. The the tale Joseph of Amorathea comes to Lou by boat was um, told by the monks at La Manor in Lou, and um, it was told um, to encourage people to come to the abbey and as one of the first examples of cultural tourism. But we know that the temple on Lou Island predates that. So um, at a guess, um, Joseph of Amorathea could be the oldest Cornish story. Um, we have a lot of uh, historical figures that are also in the folk tales, a lot of crossover between history and myth. And um, Henry Killigrew was a um, MP in Lou, and he built Ince Castle. Um, Jan Tregeagle was a magistrate in Bobmen and um, Nellie Sloggett heard many tales that had come from um, from a long time ago So, I, but I think that Joseph of Amorathea is probably the oldest tale that a guest so, so there's a really rich mix of history there that goes back a long way, isn't there? Have you got a particular favourite amongst the stories that you've uh, you've collected? Um, so my favourite changes quite a lot, <laughs> um, but I like the witch tales, and my current favourite is um, Pat and Peg. Okay, why don't you why don't you tell us a, a version of that? 
Her making a noise up unto me is old witch pattern peg. Peg wore patterns over her shoes to keep out the wet. On a wet, wet day, you could hear peg sloshing about in her patterns. And on a dry day, you could hear her tap, tap, tapping up the stone steps of Anthony Churchyard. So you could always hear peg coming. Peg was some poor. She needed a little charity. And one day she went to her neighbour to ask him for a drop of milk. I'll not give you any milk, Peg, he said. You haven't shown me any kindness. And Peg threw into an awful rage and she cursed her neighbour. Sadly, that night her neighbour died and he was buried in the churchyard at Anthony. Some nights later, Peg took her lantern and tap, 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 tap up the steps of the churchyard to look for her neighbour's grave. And when she found it, she dug him up and she took home his leg. Peg was sitting in her cold Cornish cottage all night feeling lonely, and all she had was a leg on the table. And she thought about what her neighbour had said about being kinder. And so Peg ground up the thigh bones with spiders to make herself kinder and drank the spell. And unfortunately for Peg, this spell was very, very strong and Peg also died. And Peg's ghost wanders up and down the steps at Anthony's churchyard, looking for her neighbour to tell him that she really is kinder. So that's my favourite tale. Excellent, thank you. And and that's a good demonstration, isn't it? Like a like a lot of um, a lot of these sorts of folk tales of how they're also used to kind of teach a valuable lesson to people as well in this case yeah. with peg becoming kinder now um you through this project and through the others that you've been working with um have done an awful lot to collect together a lot of these stories if other people want to do similar things um how do you suggest that people should go about starting this kind of thing collecting these stories together um, well, first of all, to read the old old collections, um, community events have worked really well for us, having a, a tea party or um, inviting people of all different ages to tell each other folk tales. Um, they're quite well hidden nowadays. Um, it's, it's quite hard to find a, a good tale. But there, there is gold amongst them. You, you can find them. Um, the ghostly feast of Bethany, that's in Cornish folk tales, the place was um, told to us at a, a um, community tea party. Um, also, um, Launceston Library didn't have a. There was no tale for Launceston, and they really wanted a tale, and they put a shout out on Facebook 
and there were quite a few tales that came in and um I used the um Dockaker house story. Um so on the internet um tales can people can come together and um talk about what tales they know and um, what tales they have in their families. Um so there's many ways in which the tales can be shared. Also, um Lithgard have a storytelling night um on the fourth Thursday of every month at the public hall and lots of um tales can be shared and, and found and discovered at um storytelling nights or cafes. So there's probably still a lot that can be found, isn't there, as well? And certainly uh, a lot of different variations of existing stories as well. So I think it's for those that are interested, it's really important that people try and um, collect together some of these things and, you know, record them in whatever way they can, whether that's in written form, you know, whether that's recording them as a little audio story. You know, most mobile phones now have capacity for recording audio for example and just collecting this stuff together because it's really important to try and and retain this record um anna that was fascinating thank you for for just running through a little bit of the the background behind your book if people want to have a look at a copy of your book um you say as you say it's published by the history press um where would you like people to go and get a copy of your book um Go to your local bookshop. Um, it's in bookshops all over Cornwall. And if not, um, it's available um, from the History Press website um, and also from the Maze Tales website. Excellent. So there are a couple of online sources there if you're not in the Cornwall area where you can go and easily get hold of a copy of this book. Uh, and, and do do so because it's a, it's a really beautifully presented book. Um, and also something that we didn't touch upon, but I'll just mention briefly, um, is also accompanied by a massive range of illustrations as well uh, of varying different types. Can you just um, finish off by just telling us a little bit about uh, the, the pictures that are in this book and how they came about too? Yeah, so um, for the History Press, you um, provide your own illustrations. And we actually um, had some funding for a, a new maze project called Monochrome Maze, which is all black and white illustrations for the book. And um, we had artists went into schools and community centres and libraries and worked um, with different um, tales and the children created uh, screen prints, um, pen and ink drawings um, and um, lots of all of the illustrations are different. There's potato prints from very young children and there are also illustrations from professional artists that were involved in the commission by all um, gave one um, very kind of gave one illustration each to the book, and also um, the Caradoc ballads have been illustrated by John Roberts from Puppet Craft, and the cover illustration is by uh, Catherine Souter. So there's I think there's 52 illustrations in the book, all by people of all different ages, 
and we've had um, a celebration events in schools and where we've gone in and shown the illustrations in the book and some of the children didn't even realize their illustration was in a book so and when we celebrated their illustrations it was lovely to see the look on their face of pride and wonder that you know their illustration had been published and I think that's really, a, it, it makes it a fantastic kind of community project in a way from start to finish as well, to be able to go out, um, demonstrate the the importance of the collection, the importance of storytelling, and to be able to work with people of all ages and abilities to, to be able to engage and to interact with those stories, I think is a great thing. Um, Anna, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your book. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. My thanks to Anna for taking the time to discuss Cornish folklore and storytelling. As she said in her interview, the book Cornish Folk Tales of Place is available from the History Press or from Maze Tales Online. If you want to visit either of those sites, you'll find handy links on the Folklore Podcast website in the show notes for this episode. In the next episode of the Folklore Podcast... I'll be talking with Gemma Nichols about the folklore associated with pregnancy and childbirth and her new workshops aimed at new and expectant mothers which look at traditional charms, crafts and lore in this underrepresented area of folklore. I hope that you'll join me again for that one. In the meantime, do email thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com with any folk tales or beliefs that you would like to add to the archives. And thanks for listening. See you next time. The Folklore Podcast is written and presented by me, Mark Norman. To find out more about my research and writing, visit www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore or on Twitter with the handle at Mr underscore Mark underscore Norman. Research assistance is provided by Tracy Norman. Visit her website at www tracynormanswitch.com to follow her historical research and projects. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to and tries to avoid annoying advertising or sponsorship messages, but it cannot sustain itself. We are grateful for the support of all of our patrons who, for as little as $1 a month, earn themselves great rewards whilst ensuring our future. For more details, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot support us in this way, please share the episodes on your social media and leave positive reviews. This really helps the audience for the podcast to grow. Visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more episode and guest information, to buy from the web store, or to sign up for free newsletters or get in touch. The Folklore Podcast theme music was written and performed by Gurdy Bird. Thanks for listening. <laughs>